Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Yes. Super excited. We are all pumped to have James Renner. James Renner. James Renner has zeroed in. James Renner is once again... Drops a bombshell. bombshell. Investigative journalist reporter James Renner, who's been on the podcast a long time. By a local writer, James Renner. James Renner. James Renner. James Renner. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It is October 21st, 2022. And these are the top true crime stories from around the world. Brought to you by me, James Renner, here on the show. Uh, welcome. Welcome back. We have some bizarre stories for you this week. This is one of the the top three or like one of the, it's like the strangest assortment of true crime I, I've ever covered. Um, it the, the range is wild. So stick with us. I've got cold case updates after the break, genetic genealogy news, a weird story from Reddit you're going to want to hear some pop culture, a book review. You know, it's a little bit of everything. You're welcome. You're welcome, America, and the UK, if you're listening over there. Uh, uh, what, what is this show? If you're just tuning in, this true crime this week by James Renner. And what I do is uh, I distill all the news, true crime from around the world, and these are the true crime cases that you're going to be hearing about. Everybody's going to be talking about, like, next week. Uh, these are what... These are the crimes that are going to be Netflix series, Lifetime original movies. You're going to hear it here first from Uncle James. And as always, uh, we have Walter on the cameras. Say hi to everybody, Walter. Uh, yeah, it, it gets weirder. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's, here's, here's the top story off the bat. This is a weird one. Try to follow this. Uh, I, you know, if you're a fan of Ozark... I'm a fan of Ozark. I love me some Jason Bateman. And when I'm watching that show, sometimes I wonder, like, how, like, if this happened in real life, what would, uh, what would the community think of this? Like, how would it read from the outside? Somebody's got to cover those murders, right? It's going to end up on some newspaper, but what, what does the community make of what's happening there? Well, this is like real life Ozark shit, uh, that I'm going to get to, um, and not far from the region either. So uh, 
it's 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 developing. So the story began trickling out. I'm sorry to build this up, but I'm I'm this really cool cool little story. The story began trickling out piece by piece, and I, I thought about bringing it up last week, and I didn't. It starts with four men disappearing from Okmulgee, Okmulgee, sorry, Okmulgee, Oklahoma. Uh, Okmulgee is an old Indian word, Native American word for boiling water. They've got some rivers down there, which will come important here in a minute. Four young men, ages 29 to 32. Their names Mark Chastain, Billy Chastain, Mike Sparks, and Alex Stevens group of friends, they set out into the night on bicycles. And they had, these bicycles were pulling little trailers. And that's what we knew, the story, when it began breaking last week, it was just that four men had disappeared after taking a bike ride. How strange, right? Then, the next thing we hear is that the men were, before they went out on the bikes, they told their wives, they told people, that they were going to, quote, hit a lick big enough for all of them. If you don't speak Ozark, hit a lick means you're going to go get uh, something illegal that's worth a lot of money. Hit a lick means you're going you're gonna to make some money. And this is apparently, it was a big enough job that it was going to set all four of them up. So they were going to get a lick big enough for all of them. This is according to BuzzFeed. Now, at a press conference on Monday, this brings us to Monday of this week, police said they believe the men had left to commit a criminal act and then disappeared. Now, using cell phone data, police tracked the four men's movement. They tracked their movement to a salvage yard. Nothing good ever happens in a salvage yard. Police spoke to the owner of that salvage yard, a guy named Joe Kennedy. Seemed very nice. This was last Friday cooperative. Then uh, shortly after that, human remains were found in the Deep Fork River, and these remains turned out to be the bodies of the four missing men. They had each been shot and dismembered. Police went back to question Joe Kennedy, but he had disappeared. Joe Kennedy had skipped town. They found his old PT cruiser behind some business they didn't find any sign of him, so they issued an APB, suggested to the media that Joe might be feeling suicidal. Now, Joe didn't remain a fugitive for very long. Authorities found him driving a stolen vehicle in Volusia County, Florida. He had fled to Florida. Joe's 67 years old, by the way, and he was arrested on a prior warrant on a separate weapons charge and also for, you know, stealing a car. You know, he, he had dropped his PT cruiser off and then uh, allegedly stole another vehicle to get away to Florida. He's going to be extradited back to Oklahoma. So, so far, he's only been called a person of interest in the murders. And it begs the question, could he have killed all four of these men, grown men, by himself? It seems pretty unlikely, unless he somehow got the drop on them. And what was at the salvage yard to begin with? Like, what were these four men going to do? What was going to be worth so much money that their lives were at stake? This is a crazy story. We only know, like, a small percentage of it. What happened? What was in that salvage yard? And if he was being robbed, why didn't Joe just call the police? Unless what they were trying to steal was illegal in itself. So 
check out this story. You know, I think it's all going to go back to Marty Bird and that damn casino, if you're asking me. Maybe poppies. Who knows? Is this drugs? What's going on here? Another crazy story this week. Uh, I don't know what's going on. This is another one of those stories that, like, we have a lot of details, but we don't know what the hell's going on. Here it is. An acclaimed investigative journalist has gone missing after FBI agents raided his home earlier this year in April. So weird story out of Arlington, Virginia. A lot of strange things happened down there in uh, the D.C. Arlington area. This involves one James Gordon Meek. He's a 52-year-old producer. If you happen to watch his documentary on Hulu, it's called 3212 or 3212 Unredacted. And that's a documentary about four American soldiers who were killed in an ambush in Niger back in 2017. And it's suggested that it was covered up by higher-ups within the army. It might have gone all the way up to the top or close to. So a lot of people might have gotten in trouble over that story. So flash forward to April of this year, FBI raided his Arlington, Virginia penthouse apartment where he'd been living for a few years. And according to the New York Post, the FBI agents found classified material on his laptop. Now, something weird about this raid, too, is apparently it only lasted 10 minutes, which is a weird thing to consider. Most FBI raids, they'll come in, they'll spend like half a day there tearing through everything, looking for evidence. They apparently knew exactly where they were going and what they were going to find. They were in and out in 10 minutes, according to neighbors. Now, James Gordon Meek has not been seen since this raid. And this is all kind of coming out this week. His last public statement was a tweet. He tweeted on April 27th, and just one word, facts, which uh, was in a response to somebody else's post about the the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So, like I said, neighbors haven't seen him since this raid. Um, And it's kind of a big deal for the FBI to raid a journalist's home while the commander-in-chief is... Um, a Democrat. We you know, liberals don't like to go after journalists. There's a, they're our friends, you know. Um, this ha- usually happens under conservative regimes. So everything about the story is a little strange. Now, ABC, which is where Meek was working, they told Rolling Stone that, uh, and you can look at into in depth if you want to research any of these stories. I provide links at the end in the liner notes in the podcast, um, so they're easy to find notes on YouTube, too. So ABC told Rolling Stone that uh, Meek resigned very abruptly around the time of this raid, I think, and hasn't been seen in the office since then. Also, his cinematographer, who also worked for ABC, this guy Brian Epstein, no relation as far as I know to Jeffrey Epstein, of course, he also abruptly quit. So obviously has something to do with what they were working on, Meek was supposedly finishing a book about a mission in Afghanistan. Uh, I, and that book came out in August and was a bestseller, but he didn't appear. And the publisher even back, walked back on some of the promotion. So nobody knows where he is, what the hell's going on. So check that out. Final top story this week. Got to mention this. It's 
no doubt a big story. Uh, on Tuesday, a jury in Salinas, California, brought some long-awaited justice. <clears throat> hey, my voice is changing finally. Uh, I just felt my ball drop. Uh, a jury in Salinas, California, brought some long-awaited justice to the family of Kristen Smart, a 19-year-old Cal Poly U student who disappeared in 1996. You know the story. <clears throat> Kristen Smart was last seen with Paul Flores, uh, who was also a student there and a bit of a creep. She was seen earlier in the night uh, having a drink, and he was nearby. This comes important. Uh, this is an important detail later. Um, he was in a dorm not far from her dorm, and uh, after she had this drink, she passed out in the yard of this party. A couple students start walking her to her dorm. Paul Flores comes out of the shadows and says, hey, hey. I'll walk her the rest of the way. And then she was never seen again. So it's a very difficult case. This jury has said that Paul Flores is guilty of her murder. This is according to the LA Times. Very difficult case. Like I said, it's one of those rare no-body homicide cases. They never found Kristen Smart. They never found her body, and they never have had they never found any direct evidence tying her to Paul Flores or his father, Ruben Flores. Now, the story that the prosecutors told the jury is they believe her body was under a porch at Paul's family home, and his father, Reuben, helped him hide the body and then move it after police began snooping sometime around 2020. Prosecutors also presented testimony from two women who claimed that Paul Flores drugged and raped them in the years following Kristen's disappearance. So a lot of smoke there, at least. He faces 25 years to life in prison to be sentenced December 9th. 25 years to life in prison. If they would have arrested and tried him back in 1996, he'd be out already. At the same time, they were going after his father, Ruben Flores, saying that he was guilty of uh, being an accessory to this crime and getting rid of the body, but a separate jury acquitted him. And at least one of the jurors from that case has come out in, in the news and said that Paul's jury got it wrong and there wasn't enough evidence to convict either one of them. Many are crediting a podcast for reopening the investigation and pushing police to make an arrest. So you should check that out if you haven't already. The podcast is called Your Own Backyard by Chris Lambert. So nice job, Chris. Now, on the case itself... It is entirely circumstantial. If I was on that jury, I'm not entirely sure I would convict, but there was one piece of evidence I heard during this whole thing that gave me the chills. It might have been enough, might have been enough for me to say, yeah, if I was on that jury, yes, let's, let's convict. And that was, there was a woman that was renting from the Flores, living in the house where this body was supposedly buried. And every morning, around the time that Kristen Smart would have been going to class had she been alive, she heard an alarm going off, like one of those old watch alarms that we used to have back before cell phones. That ding, 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 ding. She'd hear it go off. And, you know, the implication is that Kristen still had it on her wrist or in her pocket, and that's what she was hearing. So the hell was that about? But... Anyways, I'm glad there was some justice in that case. Um, stay with me. I'm going to go to a break, but I'll be right back. I've got some cold case updates. we got to talk about this new Netflix documentary, Vatican Girl, by the way. Uh, so stick around. I'll be right back in two and two. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. And we're back with Out of This World, starring Maureen Flanagan. Some cold case updates for you. Some new details this week in the case of the OnlyFans model who allegedly killed her boyfriend. This is coming to us from the New York Post. Talked about this a couple weeks ago. 26-year-old Courtney Clenny is accused of stabbing her boyfriend, Christian Obumselli, to death. She stabbed him to death during the fight in her apartment in Miami on April 3rd. She's charged with second-degree murder. But this week, police re- released body cam footage from officers who were sent to her residence, her apartment, two days before the murder. And Courtney is seen on camera pleading with the police, saying she wanted a restraining order against Christian, and then he was stalking her. And some of this was backed up by, like, the bellman. There's somebody down there who said he saw Christian uh, run after her in the lobby. So there's some pretty interesting esculpatory evidence, as they call it. Now, remember, this is Florida, too, which is a stand-your-ground state. And... Courtney is white, by the way, 
Christian was black. So I think it's, you know, if I were to go to Vegas, I, pretty good odds on the fact that these charges will be dismissed soon. So this is beginning to seem more like um, she was acting in self-defense, but also you've got the racial angle and you've got Florida being Florida. So um, keep an eye on that case. Also in cold case updates, 47-year-old Mark andre Grenon was charged yesterday with first-degree murder in the cold case homicide of 19-year-old Ghislaine Potvin, which occurred in April 2000. This according to the Montreal Gazette. This happened in Saguni, Canada, which is north. It's like an hour north of Quebec City in, in, um, in Quebec. And if you haven't been up there, it is cold, cold, cold. Uh, I traveled up there in search of more Murray way back in 2013. I went with the Crawl Space guys, Lance and Tim. We journeyed all the way up to Quebec City. We got There were some good sightings up there too, by the way. But I rem all I remember about Quebec City is that it was like negative 40 degrees. And this was in early December, I think. And there's a million people living up there in that city. I can't imagine living there throughout the winter. I, I don't know how you do it. And then this, you know, where this crime occurred is, is like an hour north of there. What are you doing up there? Uh, so Grenon is also charged in the attempted murder and sex assault in an attack that occurred in Quebec City in July 2000. So he seemed to be casing that entire region. Potvin was found dead in her apartment where she lived with two female roommates. Grenon would have been 25 years old at the time. Police believe there may be several other crimes connected to this man, and so they are publishing his face and putting it out there in hopes other victims might come forward. In genetic genealogy news, Queen City prosecutors, that's Queens, New York, as opposed to Queens, Idaho, I don't know, Queen City prosecutors have their first genetic genealogy solved this week. This according to the Gothamist. 75-year-old Martin Mata pleaded guilty this week to the murder of George Seitz way back in 1976. And he's likely to be sentenced to 20 years in the slammer. How did this happen? Well, it begins in March 2019 when a tip came in from a woman who said she remembered watching her mother's boyfriend, that would be uh, Mata, remembered her, her mother's boyfriend chopping up and burying a body in the 70s. That's something you don't forget, right? Mata was a barber at the time, and Seitz was last seen walking to the barbershop. It's believed that the barber murdered him for $7,000 that Seitz had on him at the time. Uh, DNA Doe Project, in with another win. Let me read this right up. This literally just came in through The Wire, a.k.a. my email, as I was putting the show together today. A man who had been unidentified since he was found in the area of Central Avenue and West Monroe Street in Phoenix on October 19, 2004, has been identified as one Frank Beck, originally from Pennsylvania. Beck's injuries suggested he'd fallen from a tall building. Investigators at the time were unable to establish his identity. Earlier this year, investigators from the Maricopa County Medical Examiner's Office brought the case to DNA Doe Project. 
Frank Beck, age 57 at the time of his death, had experienced homelessness in his later years and had lived in Arizona since the 1990s. One of the few early, this is what I like about genetic genealogy. It, uh, it crosses racial and socioeconomic boundaries. We don't care if they're homeless. Everybody deserves a name at the end. One of the few early clues investigators had to his identity was a surgical implant indicating he'd experienced a serious injury on his right ankle. The DNA Doe Project partnered with local agencies, including four that are in active research. Uh, these are other cases they're working right now. They're, they're very, very busy down in Arizona. This particular case was assigned to the DNA Doe Project's first summer apprentice program where eight apprentice genetic genealogists worked under the supervision of experienced lead volunteers. So this was a class assignment that they, that they used and then solved. Um, here's a quote. Thanks to our excellent relationship with Phoenix Police Department, we were able to restore the name of this former John Doe and advance the field of investigative genetic genealogy by using this case for an education initiative. This comes from a director of education and development, Karen Binder, who you're going to hear more about on this show. I guarantee it because the Porchlight Project, nonprofit here in Ohio that I'm a part of, we raise money for cold cases uh, and genetic genealogy for local cases around here. Karen's helping us out. Nadine Ashcroft, one of the partners in the program, um, said, when our team began work on the family tree for this John Doe, we noticed one of his parents had recent Scottish ancestry, whilst the other significant German ancestry that got them to a family tree and eventually down to Frank Beck himself. Congratulations, DNA Doe Project. Check out their website. All right, now I know this is already kind of a weird episode with the top three stories being just kind of bizarre, but I found this, this, this weird story, and this is usually the part of the program where I tell you about a weird crime that's in the news. I found this story on the unresolved Reddit sub, the subreddit, and this comes from user The Bones of Autumn. And let me tell you, I, I, I never heard about this case. This is crazy that it's still unsolved. Perhaps somebody out there has some information. Let me tell you about it. In August 1998, a truck carrying a devastating amount of explosive material barreled through a side door of Indiana's Tippecanoe County Courthouse. Miraculously, the makeshift bomb failed to detonate. Despite a lengthy investigation, no motive was ever determined. No, to, no arrests were ever made. Here's a little more background. Just about 10 p.m. on August 2, 1998, Lafayette, Indiana emergency dispatchers received a call about a possible fire inside the Tippecanoe County Courthouse. When firefighters arrived on scene, they were met with a thick cloud of black smoke billowing from the open 4th Street entrance. As they approached, it quickly became apparent that something inside was burning. <clears throat> Several firefighters made entry into the dark structure. Near the entrance, broken glass and other debris covered the ground. Just inside, a thick, oily substance that smelled like diesel fuel coated the floor. Something also appeared to be burning at the end of a hallway. However, due to the intense heat visibility and thick smoke, visibility was nearly zero. After 10 minutes, the source of the blaze finally revealed itself. 13 feet down the hall sat a full-size pickup truck engulfed in flame. Crews continued to battle the blaze. A custodian was able to open a separate entrance to the building, allowing some of the smoke to clear. 
Firefighters noticed the truck, a red 1979 Ford F-250, had multiple barrels in its bed. Although, now, they were able to put out the fire, but inside the barrels, they, they found 55, these were barrels, 55-gallon drums and one 30-gallon drum. They had 200 pounds of black powder mixed with metal shavings. This was a bomb uh, to rival Oklahoma City, right? A six-foot wick leading to blasting caps was found to be charred, but fortunately did not stay lit. Twelve hours later, the truck's components were carefully driven, driven to a nearby quarry and disposed of. The detonation shook the surrounding area, sending shrapnel so soaring more than 100 feet in the air. That would have killed a lot of people. Investigators revealed few, uh, the investigation revealed few clues or a motive. However, after increasing witnesses, uh, after interviewing witnesses in the area that evening, investigators were able to release a rough description of a possible suspect, white male in his 40s with a receding hairline, a.k.a. just about anybody in Indiana. Um, it was learned that the truck carrying the makeshift bomb had been reported stolen four days prior. They checked the guy out whose truck was stolen. He, he checked out. During the investigation, it was found that 250 gallons of fuel that was in the barrels had been stolen from the Indiana Crop Improvement Association, located just a few miles where the pickup truck had been stolen from. My guess is somebody that had a court case in the courthouse, of course, that was connected to farming in some way. Unfortunately, despite hundreds of hours of work, no arrests have ever been made. So that's that would have been a devastating act of domestic terrorism, and somebody's out there. Somebody got away with it, and luckily nobody was killed. So uh, if you have any information in the case or that any of those details strike a chord with you, reach out to police. Let's go to pop culture. I, today, I binged through the first three episodes of the new season of Unsolved Mysteries. Are you guys caught up yet? It's pretty good. And they brought back the UFOs, which, yeah, I'll, 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 I will always watch those. You know, I, I, I love me some true crime, but throw in some UFOs, yes, please. There's also the case of uh, Tiffany Valiente that I found particularly interesting and reminds me in some ways of the Maura Murray case, uh, this in this case we we you know they they have the body but it's it's really hard to determine if if we're talking about a suicide or an accident or or a murder so check that out that story resonated with me also just out yesterday a new Netflix documentary called Vatican Girl which is fascinating it involves the disappearance of a 15 year old Emanuela Orlandi who is the daughter of a Vatican Vatican employee who disappeared in Vatican City outside the Opus Dei Church in 1983. You might remember that Opus Dei. Maybe you can't place it yet. It's from Da Vinci Code. Opus Dei was the sect of the Catholic religion that the bad guy was a part of. Opus Dei, some of their devout followers believe in this self-flagellation. We're releasing sin through physical pain. So that's kind of creepy. Anyways, Emanuela lived with her family in Vatican City. She lived in an apartment paid for by the Pope. And the documentary 
goes there. So check it out. Finally, let's go to the bookshelf. This week's book is one of my favorites, Shadow of Death by Philip Ginsburg. And uh, this is this was written way back in like 19... Well, I think it was like 1993. But it talks about the uh, a serial killer that has never been caught, the Connecticut Valley River killer, who killed a number of women, it's assumed, in the 80s, uh, from like, I think, northern Massachusetts up into Vermont, New Hampshire area, around the same place that Maura Murray was, was driving and Brianna Maitland was found. And it's always been, people wondered if maybe they're connected. I don't think they are. But anyways, there is a serial killer that nobody's caught yet. And this book gives a pretty compelling argument about who that might be. So, and it's just classic journalism too. This was written before true crime was a big thing. And it just tells the the story. It just lays it out for you and has enough clues. If you're an armchair sleuth, you want to pick up where Philip, Philip Ginsburg left off, that's how you do it. And also the Crawl Space boys, Lance and Tim, are putting together a new podcast based on the Connecticut Valley River Killer. So be sure to check that out too. And that's that's it for this week. It is a Friday, which is always reason to celebrate. And in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, the godfather of Cleveland Radio, that means we gotta, 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 gotta. Get down, damn it. True Crime This Week is a fearful symmetry production. Photo and artwork are licensed through Shutterstock. If you like the cut of my jib, I have another podcast you might enjoy called The Philosophy of Crime, in which I attempt to solve the big questions behind our true crime obsession by looking to philosophy for answers. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Sit, Brownie, sit. Good dog. 